Hey, everybody, and welcome to Learning from Smart People. I am your host, Rob Oliver, and I wish you a wonderful day wherever it is on this worldwide web that we live. My smart person today is Meredith Alexander. And just, I read her bio and it was like, we are, we're birds of a feather. We are, I don't know if we have the same spirit animal or whatever it is that we have. Let me just, her introduction is, you know, we all have had bad days, but what does a boulder falling in South America have to do with ditching a dead end job and finding the future that you know you were destined for? For Meredith, the answer is everything. She is a best-selling author, a resilience and peak performance coach, and a grit mindset expert. Uh, her daughter's story has been featured in media around the world. And basically, at the end of the day, the life that you love is something you can wake up for even when boulders fall across your path. Meredith, mm -hmm. welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. So let's just jump right into this. Talk to me about the, the Boulder story and what happened there and how it impacted you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it started out like any other day. And I, I think you probably share that experience as well with what you went through. And it was this gorgeous day in Florida. Everything seemed to be beautiful. I was a crazy entrepreneur where I had 40 gazillion things going on. It was in the middle of my busy season. And all of a sudden at 3.15 in the afternoon, my phone rang and the voice on the other end said, I don't know how to tell you this, but Skylar, my daughter, had been in a terrible accident in Colombia, South America. She had been with a friend on a whitewater rafting expedition, and they'd gone through the treacherous part and pulled into this grotto to relax and swim and uh, also jump off a little ledge. So they had to scale up a cliff to get there, and uh, they did it once. I even have the video footage of it. Um, and of course, once you do it once, you have to do it again, right? <laughs> so the group had to was climbing up single file. And what they think happened is that someone, it was dry season, someone up above sky dislodged a boulder and the boulder came plunging down. It was a direct hit in the middle of her forehead and knocked her off the cliff onto the rocks below. So she ended up with... Uh, her skull cracked open, her uh, her lungs crushed, fractured spine, both both scapulas fractured, right thigh snapped, left ankle pulverized. So there she was in the middle of nowhere with an hour before they could get her to any sort of medical help. And needless to say, most people don't don't make it, especially in Colombia, where not every hospital has an ICU. So it was a bleak picture. No doubt. And how does, like, how are you receiving this news as a mom? That's got to be one of the most difficult, I would assume it's got to be either one of the most difficult or the most difficult call that you have ever experienced because you're in Florida, she's in Colombia, and there's not a thing that you can do to, to make things better for her. 
That's, you just really hit the nail on the head. I mean, that is, well, it was an interesting, it was an interesting moment in the sense that it was a moment that I had never wanted to live. And yet it was almost like my psyche split into two parts. There was one that was taking the, the massive hit and that was in shock, that was in denial saying, how do I do this? I'm not big enough to do this. And thinking of all the things that can go wrong, all the things that were inadequate about me. Then there was the other part of me that it was almost like observing from afar and watching all of this unfold. And so, yes, at first it was total denial. I mean, I was trying desperately to convince the person on the other side of the line that it was just a broken leg. Right. And, um, here they are not wanting to tell me that there's a good shot. I'm going to be bringing home my daughter in a box. Um, and then, and, and then hanging up as finally getting it, finally having the courage to ask the question, is there a chance she's not going to make it? And then the horrible silence on the other end of the line and I, hanging up and basically just sinking on onto the floor in total. Uh, yeah. And that, that, experience where you're dealing with the fact that your daughter's life is hanging by the slightest of threads and there's so let me just ask then how long did it take for for you like did you go down to Columbia immediately or what what was the next step for you and how long did that take so so the next step was you know calling calling my mom calling my uh, my my mom was particularly close with Skylar because they had been roomies. Skylar had stayed in my mom's apartment in New York that past summer. So they were, you know, had gotten really, really close. Called my mom, uh, called my other daughter, called my son and put together a plan. Now, one of the interesting things is that I had no, no idea, no experience what to do with this. So I just posted this tiny little post on Facebook saying, I'm just finding out that my youngest daughter has been critically injured in Columbia. If anyone has any experience with this, please reach out to me. And the phone began ringing off the hook with people who had connections in Columbia, family in Columbia, traveled, did business in Columbia. And so that was inadvertently one of the best things I could have done because it takes, it takes a village to survive a crisis too, you know, as you probably have experienced. Yeah. What it's so interesting. One of the, one of the themes that I have heard on the show is the power of relationships. And there is, especially in times of crisis, you, you find out that there are, Okay, you find out the difference between your friends and your acquaintances mm-hmm. because your friends are the ones that show up and say, listen, what? Here's I've got a connection. I've got something to help. Uh, or just to even say, I'm thinking of you. And the acquaintances are the ones that are like, man, what's happening to her is really bad and I feel bad for her. Does that make sense right. at all? Oh, uh, totally, totally. And you know what's really interesting is that uh, one of the key players for us we didn't even know before this. So one of Sky's uh, close friends, parents, knew a woman who was from Colombia, who still who had a brother-in-law who was 
actually in neuroscience in Bogota, which isn't where Sky was, but still in Colombia. Right. And with, and because they have no HIPAA, they were able to find out exactly which hospital she was and the the real severity of the injury, uh, which they didn't share with me in in the entirety. Um, but they, she, I had, I do not speak Spanish. Right. And this woman dropped everything, became like a sister to me, is a dear friend to this day. And I think that, you know, if for those of you who are listening, it, our instinct when we're in a crisis can be to hold up, pull the covers over our heads and get in the fetal position and not connect with anyone. And I would urge you to push beyond that reaction because to me having the community and even the sense of purpose is what gives you your superpower because for me big was the fact that I did have to get on a plane um so my my other my other daughter and I got on the plane to go to Colombia my son stayed in the states in case you know we needed things here um but it was flying on that plane that I really asked myself some powerful questions. And, and fortunately I had studied the inner game a lot. And this is where I came to the personal conclusion that the worst of all the negative emotions was to your point, feeling powerless to help sky. So I, I took inventory of anything and everything that I might be able to offer my daughter. And it came down to, I may not be able to control the outer game, but I sure as heck can play a mean inner game. So game on world, here I come. And absolutely began to put into play things that I had read about and never had the sense of urgency to apply at this level. I applied this freaking more than as if my own life depended on it at knowing that my daughter's life depended on this. And that was what really began a huge shift for me and, and showing up not as a second victim of this boulder, but showing up as the leader of the team ready to guide everyone's energy to a place where according to these laws if we all believe she would end up there, the world had to conform to that vision. Okay. You, let me just key on one of the things you said, because it's so interesting to me. When, my, when I was injured, I was in college. I was studying psychology. And I talk about this, and I say that when I, before my injury, I was a psychology major. And after my injury, I became a psychology major with purpose. Because I now understood the implications and the the actual the actual wherewithal of what I was looking at, and it's no longer just kind of theoretical and abstract. Now it's a chance you say, okay, let's put this in into practical reality. Let's put this into shoe leather, so to speak, and I see how this impacts what this impacts me. It impacts the people around me. I, so, can talk to me a little bit about with Skylar. What is, what's her prognosis today? Like what coming out of this, um, what's, what's going on and, and where is she today? Perfect. So uh, as you and I are having this conversation, it's about five and a half years after the boulder. Uh, she survived the quote unquote unsurvivable. She still has 
if you were to look at a CAT scan, she still has an area of her brain that would speak medically that she would either be dead or vegetative. And yet clearly she's not. Um, It did disrupt her balance. So that is our key focal point to, so that she might have some level of independence um, by having some sense of balance. She doesn't have that yet. So she still does require full assistance. Um, But cognitively, I mean, she is there she's brilliant. She has an incredible memory. Uh, she is more uh, functionally focused than creatively focused. She, it's an interesting study in um, the little voice inside our head. She, she says that she, it hasn't come back. So that okay. little jibber jabber voice, which is fascinating. Uh, she's constantly very, very positive. So, uh, and she's been, uh, she had to relearn everything, right? Everything, as I'm sure you can relate. Swallowing, breathing, moving, being able to lift a wrist. I found a video of me showing her fingers moving like two inches and me going, oh my God, look, she's, (laughs) so she's fortunately way beyond that. But um, it's exciting. It's exciting. You know, what you are saying is so powerful because there it's all about what you're looking at. Okay. What I just heard you talk about, you mentioned some deficits, but you are looking at the skills and abilities and the, the strengths that Skylar has and, and talking about, okay, we've the balance issue is a, is a problem, but it's something that we're working on. And it's something that um as we move forward, we're looking to help her increase her independence in this particular area. Have you always been someone that has focused on the positive? And you actually, you mentioned that Skylar is very positive as well. Is that, is that genetic? Is that something that you've developed? Is that, uh, how does that work for you? I, I, that's a great question. And I, and I would say that the answer is probably somewhere in between. Um, Sky's middle name literally means happiness. In okay. Japanese, it's Sachi, and she's always lived up to that. Th- that said, she has been raised very much with me having become familiar with the works of Esther Hicks, Abraham Hicks, um, technically called the law of attraction. I prefer to look at the word attraction as a contraction for attracting the right action. So the law of attracting the right action. Um, and so so it made me very conscious of our language and our inner narrative and how powerful our words are. And, and especially now that I work with so many clients, virtually every single person comes to me saying, well, the problem is, or my biggest challenge is, and I kind of stop people for a moment and say, what do you think is the most powerful word in that sentence that you just said? And usually it's like, well, problem or my or challenge, that kind of thing, biggest. And those are all very powerful, true for many, many different reasons. But the sneaky one and the reason that we derail ourselves is because even more powerful is the word is. 
because mm. that's the present tense. That's our programming code. We don't even realize that we're saying it. And it's by far the most powerful because when, I, so, and this is where I made the adaptation because if I was continuing to fly down there going, okay, my challenges or, or the, or, or, you know, my problem is finding a way to help my daughter, finding a way to get some power. I'm feeding that because my focus is very much on what is it's the programming code. But it's true. Well, it's only a tiny one possible interpretation of truth that the, the, the other possible interpretations are my focus right now is finding a way to help my daughter. My commitment right now is finding a way to help my daughter. Those are both very authentic. And when we start understanding that in many, many ways, our minds function like jukeboxes, they just or, you know, tape recorders, they just what we hear a lot that's memorization, right? We hear a lot. We That's why we get the same dumb song. But half the time, we don't even like it stuck in our right. mind. However, when the song doesn't have a melody, when there are a whole collection of words, we go, oh, but that must be truth. In fact, that must be who I am. It is what it is. And it's not. We just haven't learned to take to actively participate in our own thoughts we actively participate in what we eat we actively partic participate in our exercise but nowhere have we been conditioned to actually actively participate in what goes on inside our minds it is so funny to hear you say that and and let me just so first of all you talk about the the songs that get stuck in our head a friend of mine has a phrase for those and calls them earworms in which this the song it just climbs in your ear and you can't get it out no matter no matter what you do but I, the other thing and i've mentioned this on the show once or twice before is identifying the identifying the voices in the messages that you're hearing because you said the things that we the the messages that we play in our head are the things that we hear okay mm -hmm. and so sometimes sometimes what we need to identify is where did i hear this is this a message is this a message from my mom? Is this a message from, uh, you know, a former boss? Is this a message? Like where, where did this message come from? And when you begin to realize that so many times we thought, we think this is a message, the, this voice is my voice and it's yeah. not your voice. It's not your message. It's a message that you've received from elsewhere. And you're able to say, okay, I'm not going to play that record to use your jukebox analogy. Yes. I, I'm no longer listening to that message. I'm going to replace it with something else. Does that make sense at all to you? It, to it totally does. And it's, and it's interesting because when we get to your point, an earworm stuck in our mind, we don't panic and we don't say, Oh my God, I'm becoming Justin Bieber. Right. We, we just, we, we have confidence. Okay. That's what it is. It'll pass. And let me focus on something else and it'll pass more quickly. And when we learn to do that with those random thoughts, because if you think about it, if you're identifying or, or even if you can't pinpoint, you've just heard it throughout society, people walk around saying, well, the challenge is, the reality is, well, one version of reality, thank you, but the reality is, even if you can't identify that, if you think back that it wasn't that long ago and historically, as far as our evolution, where if you did use your imagination to quote unquote daydream, you quite possibly were not gonna get the crops harvested and you were not going to get all these pure survival things taken care of. I feel like we're in a bridge 
aspect of our evolution where now we have more options, we can afford the luxury. But if you go back a few decades, there were real fears instilled in people that if that that was the equivalent of wasting time for them, because you needed to do certain things for survival. And so they would pass those fears generationally down, so that those that they loved would survive. And now it's shifting. There's so many different ways that you can thrive um, as a human being You that you can afford to now really learn what our minds are capable of and thrive, not be threatened. Okay. So I'm slightly uncomfortable asking this question. And if you, <laughs> if you get upset with me, I'll understand. But I'm thinking... You talked about Skylar and talked mm-hmm. about her um, having having more of a functional uh, functional yeah. approach rather than a creative approach. Mm-hmm. And how does that how does that fit with kind of what you were just talking about? In that, um, really, for from a survival standpoint, sometimes mm-hmm. it's about function and oh, yes. and creativity is not uh, creativity is in some ways a luxury or a and add on it's we've got to we've got to hit the functional part first and then we can move from there does that how does that resonate yeah. with you yes yes uh, but there uh, so and i love that i actually love i'm far from from perturbed that you brought this up it's really interesting i mean brilliance can come out of functionality the um i can't remember the writer's name but the the gentleman who wrote atomic habits for example it's a fantastic book very very functional, about as functional as you can get for for habits. And he had a brain injury at one point. And I believe that, yes, at a certain level, we do need to survive. However, for the beautiful thing about our species is the diversity in our species. And so it's the the nurturing, for example, to the people who are who provide like the ballets or, but, but, but it's also a different kind of imagining. It's the being able to imagine zoom here, right? right? We're recording this, being able to imagine any level of technology, being able to imagine an airplane that can get me down to Colombia, being able to imagine that electricity when nobody else in the world says this is possible, you are going to key in and say, ah, but it must be right? right. It must be. Yep. And that's, I mean, the legendary quote from Henry Ford about if you ask people what they wanted, they wouldn't have wanted faster horses because they don't have the vision to see what an automobile is and what an automobile can do because it's it's just not in their creative understanding. So I think that's that's so powerful. So let me just say, what would you say are the biggest lessons that you and Skylar have learned from this experience? that the uh, probably the biggest lesson of all for me is the untucked. I mean, this may sound very cliche, but everything that I thought I understood and appreciated about the inner game per se, and that's everything from focus to energy, to language, to understanding fear, etc., is a million times more packed with potential than I appreciated before this boulder 
And I mean, that's the big thing okay. for me was just, wow. I, I had no idea um, that it was that big. But then secondly, it's really to question what the impossible really is because the impossible is not that far away from the I'm possible when you simply make a little shift, little, a series of little shifts and all of a sudden you're, you're closer. And that often we're the ones who are holding ourselves back into this definition of impossible. And, and we, and it's easy to do, especially when people around you are concurring saying, yep, that's impossible. Okay. So there is just so much to unpack in what you just said. And I'll give you a couple things. Okay. Number one, I don't know if you remember, but when buttons were real popular on like the buttons on people's shirts and the one said question authority, right? And a friend of mine had a shirt that said, or a button that said, who said question authority. And I thought that right there is absolutely brilliant because it's, it's taking what that sentiment is and it's, it's taking it to the next level, right? Where, so when it comes to impossible, let me, I'll give you another just piece from me. And that is um, way back. I had a guy on the show named Nathan Moore, and he talked about no label defines me. He was a person with uh, a disability. He has cerebral palsy. And he and I talked about the fact that stigma and bias exist, but they exist in other people. They don't, they don't affect me. So just because someone looks at me in a wheelchair and thinks that I can't hear or thinks that I'm stupid or thinks that, you know, they need to talk slow, whatever it is that the only way for that to impact me is if I accept it, if I buy into it. And so what you're saying about the societal understanding of what's impossible, what is possible, what are the realms of possibility, the only way for those to truly affect us is if we buy into them. How does that sound to you? Uh, that's what I work with my clients all day long is it's not, they come to me believing that frequently that something's amiss in the world. They're stuck. Something out there isn't working. They need to change the action plan. And inevitably, before you change the action plan, because you take yourself with you wherever you go, you need to understand what's going on on the inner action. That, the inner action is big. And if you are operating, if you're operating manual, says certain truths, and you're going to always be engaging them, always be engaging them. So you have to shift them. Yeah. It, if you're going to change the world, you have to start by making changes yourself. I, it's such a powerful message. I, fantastic. Listen, Meredith, you have been, thank you for being so open and being willing to share about your story, about what's going on with Skylar. It's such a powerful message for all of us to reimagine the possible and mm. to, uh, to look at the possibilities and, and to not accept the, the societal limitations that are put on us. If, if people are looking to find out more about you, about your book, your book is called The Sky is the Limit. And it, yeah. where, can they, where can they find out about you? 
So the book itself is actually the unedited posts that were put up on Facebook. No pictures of sky in the hospital, quite the opposite. But that, the sky is the limit is available on Amazon. So you can find that Meredith Alexander, the sky is the limit. And uh, if you happen to feel like you are stuck, like you had this vision of where you thought your next 10, 20, 30 years were going to go, and you have been waking up feeling like I am not at all there, then I would encourage you to reach out to me. And I have, we, Rob has generously uh, agreed to let me offer anyone who's listening, anyone who's feeling stuck, anyone who's not sure what their next step is, a complimentary 20 minute strategy session. And we will laser focus and and help you come up with a strategy for what that next step could look like for you so that you can go on and obliterate those things like the fear or self-doubt or self-worth or impossibilities and positively impact the world, right, Rob? Yeah. So here's what I think is hilarious about it. You're giving away a 20-minute um, session, and I'm the one that gets called generous for allowing you to do it. That's, that is a great perspective, and it's, it's wonderful. Um, so I will put a link to um, the book. I'll put a link to your website and to, you know, just to make sure that folks can get in touch with you. Meredith, you've been wonderful. It is time for three questions to establish your humanity. Are you ready for these? I don't know if I'm ready for these. We'll find out, won't we? <laughs> Absolutely. So on a scale of one to 10, how funny would you say you are? Well, Skylar would say about a 15 um, because of my like wild and crazy like dancing and stuff that I will do in front of her and like completely... Uh, unannounced to the rest of the world, uh, maybe a six or a seven, because, you know, I mean, sometimes we have to get serious. Uh, to get that, serious. that works. Um, if there was a country called uh, Meredithia, where mm. you were the supreme ruler, what would be the first law that you would enact? Bring your superpower capes, baby, because we're gonna be we're gonna be flying and zipping and sparkling and and uh, yeah yeah that probably would would be mandatory superhero capes for everyone. I I love it just to recognize the inner strength that you have and to all of us and this is actually the premise of this show. When it comes to smart people, everybody knows more about something than I do. And I can learn from them. So everyone that I meet is a smart person on some, maybe multiple topics. And everyone, I can learn from them. So everyone's got a superpower. Everyone's got a strength. And it's about capitalizing on it. I love it. And I think that that should be, uh, maybe you can suggest that to uh, Mr. Biden. Uh, so, all right. <laughs> all right. So last question for you. For you and Skylar, what is, what is the the favorite food or like if you're going out to dinner or even if you're cooking at home, what is Skylar's favorite meal uh, to say? Like, this is the, this is comfort food. This is what she, she wants to eat. Well, um, Skylar is vegan and I have been some shape or form of a vegetarian or pescatarian for 40, 
46 years, something like okay. that. Um, so Sky's Sky's favorite is like a green curry with it, Gardein makes these incredible kind of pro faux protein sort of things that are amazing okay. or, or with tofu. So that's, that's one of her favorites. Um, mine probably continues to be sushi of some very fresh and, and, but we, we both like love our roasted vegetables and our morning smoothies too, with tons of greens. So, so is, is Gardein a restaurant or a food it's brand? A brand? It's a brand that you can find in the frozen food section. Okay. And if anyone's trying to eat more plant-based, uh, they, it's probably the best that we've, that we've experienced all around, you know? Yeah. So, so I, listen, I have nothing against vegans and I have nothing against vegetarians. I would become one except for the fact that I, just animals are too delicious for me and I, I can't give them up. So uh, there is no judgment. I, hopefully there's no judgment either way. So, yes. all right, Meredith, you've been fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate that to all my listeners. Hey, I appreciate you joining us today and I hope that you have enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. And I will remind you that when you stop learning, you stop living. Have a great day, everybody. 